You're listening to The Questions Podcast, where Jim Hunter and myself will sit down each week and take a look at some of the questions that people have about God, Christianity, the Bible, and so much more. Be sure to leave any questions you have for each episode on the comment section for that episode, and enjoy. Uh, but today we're talking about, we're, we're back at, we're still in our book, uh, Reason for God by Tim Keller. And this chapter we're looking at is the problem of sin. Mm. And uh, it's a very, probably a very unpopular topic that I'm guessing not a lot of people want to talk about. But um, he makes some good, good points in here that uh, I, I dog-eared some of the pages that I wanted to maybe talk about. But uh, he says in here, I guess this is from famous, famous Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, um, that says, Sin is in despair not wanting to be oneself before God. Faith is that the self and being itself and wanting to be itself is granted transparently in God. And then he goes on to say, Sin is seeking to become oneself to get an identity apart from God. So I, you know, there's some. He makes a lot of really good points, a lot of really good ideas. But uh, I thought that might be a good place to start. Uh, what are your thoughts to get us started on, on the idea of sin or the problem of sin, Jim? Well, I think the biggest problem is people have a lot of different definitions of what of what sin means, and you know, Soren Kierkegaard. Um, who I I guess was one of the founders of existentialism, okay. of finding meaning in your self, in your purpose now. At this at this moment, um, but the fact is, nobody likes to hear somebody else talk about sin because because we feel they're judging us or they're hypocrites, and um, it becomes difficult to talk about sin because then you're always faced with the idea that you you are a hypocrite because we don't understand the concept of sin. Usually, it's it. We give a simple answer, which is is partly true, that sin is doing bad things. Um, it's only partly true because you can do good things and still be sinning. Because sin is a concept that can only be defined in relationship with God, and you have to bring God into the picture to understand what people are even talking about uh, about when they use the word sin or sinner and and so on. So one of the first things we have to do then is we have to come come up with a definition of sin. We have to have a clear a clear understanding of what sin means. Maybe be a good opportunity for Shelley or Bill or who anyone else who's watching to uh, to say to offer a definition. What do you think? What do you think a good definition would be for sin? Um, you're right that uh, that people don't want to people don't want to hear someone else talk about sin. Right. People don't want to hear someone else. Especially, uh, point out <laughs> something that you might be doing in your life that's that would be considered mm-hmm. sinful. Um, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, we live we live in a culture where where people are pretty much free to de- decide their own sense of morality, their own sense of ethics, and there's a lot of things that are perfectly acceptable today that even even forty fifty years ago were not. And, and so those kinds of definitions keep changing of what is right and wrong. And so it's become a thing where you can't tell me what to do. But if I have beliefs, I can tell you what you should do. And, and it creates a lot of conflict. Um, 
And we have to understand that it's not a the idea of sin is isn't a weapon that we use against other people to tell them how to live. That's not really the issue. Uh, but that's how we make it, and that's how a lot of people understand it. Everybody has a concept of sin, but but nobody likes to use it, and so we're often tempted to to try to use different words. Things we've done wrong that are wrong is is a more acceptable term. Although again, it completely misses the point of of what sin actually is, and it and at its core, when we talk about sin, we're faced with what is the relationship between God, the perfect one, and us? Okay, so um, so you said that today people are doing things that 40 or 50 years ago were, would have been unheard of. Right. Um, does that mean that, that, that what was happening 40 or 50 years ago was right? That, 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 that everyone was living, or more people were living the right way, and now people are living the wrong way? Or, or what, what's with, what makes that contradiction or, or contrast? Well, you know, I, I read a lot of uh, mystery novels and, and different kinds of novels, and sometimes I'll read something that was written back in the 1950s. And it's really interesting that people were doing exactly the same things we're doing today. Whether you know it's it's drugs or crime or or sex or any other topic you want to mention, people were always doing the same things throughout human history. But back in the fifties, it was labeled as wrong. Didn't stop anybody from doing the things they wanted to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was labeled as wrong. And the only basic difference is today it's accepted, and we can actually talk about the things we're doing that we wouldn't dare talk about. Um, that has that has some good connotations. For instance, back in in the fifties, nobody ever talked about things like like child abuse because they didn't want to admit that things like that even happened. Today, we can talk about that openly, and that's a very good thing. But then, when we're talking about um, relationships, uh, people still did the relationship, but they didn't. They didn't talk about it then, and today they do talk about it, but it's not a good thing because it, it demeans uh, human relationships the way God fully intended them to be. So Becky Manning has joined us. Uh, uh, looks like Timely's on here. I didn't see I didn't see a little blurb that Timely came on, but uh, Ryan, Ryan, good afternoon, Ryan. Nice to have you join us too. Um, Timely says that that sin is going against what God has asked us to, or asked you to do not do. I think that's what it says. The screen is a far far away, so I'm trying to read. <laughs> that that bottom line is a little bit harder for me to read on the doctor's chart. But um, so then, how do we? What is a definition of sin? Because it's not just it's not just comparing. You know, cultures. It's not just talk like we talked about last week. It's not just the idea that there are um, are are morals. You know, that some people live by and some people don't live by. There has to be a definition of right and wrong or sin. You know, so how do we? How then do we understand what is sin or what isn't sin? How can we come to a good definition? Well, I I think that it all depends on on who God is and, and what God is um, and what He says. It's it's true. I think Timothy Timothy was absolutely correct um, because God clearly says don't do these things, and He also says do these other things. And 
when we do the things that God says we shouldn't do, since God is the absolute, since God is the judge uh, from his perspective, that's, that's sin. But also, if he tells us to do good things and we don't do those, that also is sin because we're, we're rejecting God's authority over us. And ultimately, that's what it all comes down to. This loving God tells us what's best for our lives, but not just what's best, what we need to do in order to fulfill the reason that he created us. And so we have to come to grips with the idea that we want to be in harmony with God because he's good, he's loving. Um, People who don't believe that really struggle with the issue of sin. And it becomes my opinion against yours. But with a good, loving God, there's absolutely no reason, no logical reason to not do what he says, other than our fear of, of being controlled by somebody else, I think. Mm. So uh, Ryan's a pastor at River, River City Church, and so maybe he can, he can jump on here and, join, and uh, offer a definition yeah. of sin, too. So, um, But it sounded like what you were getting at is that um, sin is is not obeying is not not being obedient that yeah that's not a complete definition but that's probably about as close as we can get people to agree on okay so uh, so part of that then would be rebellion that when we when we're being rebellious then we're probably mm-hmm. being sinful and uh, that's that's kind of what um, one of the things that Keller mentions in the book I don't know if it's right in this first couple pages or not about pride, that, that pride is one of the things that tends to um, cause us to sin. That's one of the big things. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, I don't know if I'll find the quote or not. Yeah. Well, it's part of human nature to not want other people to tell us what to do. We want to decide for ourselves. We want to make our own choices. And, and, um, and essentially... Uh, you know, the biggest picture of sin and its consequences is found in Romans chapter 1, where mankind knew that God was there, and they just turned their backs on him because they didn't want God to be their God. And, and as a result, there were lots and lots of consequences. It changed human nature. Uh, we realize that all the bad things we see in the world is because of what happened to human nature because they turned their back on God. And and the list that it has in, in Romans 1 is just pretty extensive. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I think, you know, it's turning your back on God, wanting to do things your own way. Um, I, I, the quote was back here towards the beginning. It wasn't much of a quote. I just remember the word pride being there. Um, that pride, he said that pride is the enemy of the hope. Pride is the enemy of hope. Um, but that doesn't really offer a whole lot, a whole right. lot of a definition to our understanding of pride. I know um, James talks about. For one, he talked about the the other idea you mentioned that um, that sin isn't just you know not doing bad things, but that we also sin by not doing good things. And Jim or uh, James mentions Jim. I guess we can call him Jim <laughs> if we want to. Um, that whoever knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it for him it's sin, right? right. So, so that's a, another definition. So obedience, uh, obeying is definitely getting in the in the right direction. But pride, James also talks a lot about pride and that pride. Uh, 
that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And um, what do you think? What do you think that that idea, that contrast is when it when it comes to our understanding of sin? Um, my wife just jumped jumped in. She said resistance and rebellion. So, what do you think the contrast with grace and grace and and pride is? Um, I think it's an important one. Um, I mean, grace is is being willing to accept something that we don't deserve. Um, that's our side of grace. The other side of grace is giving something to someone or treating them in such a way that they don't deserve. And you know, God does that with us all the time. He offers us so much, um, but it's but our pride says, "I don't want that. I don't want something that's free. I want something that that's earned." I want to be able to earn whatever you give me because if it's free, then I owe you something. And people don't want to owe God things. And that, that's just a matter of pride um, because you get into a really good relationship or a marriage that's really working. And, and, and one of the things you find absent is that is the absence of pride in, in the sense that that you're willing to humble yourself before your spouse. You're willing to say, I was wrong. You're willing to get along, and, and you're willing to accept free things from your spouse out of their love for you. And, and pride is uh, it's just so destructive. There, the Bible gives some examples of people who would rather die than submit to God. And it, that's amazing when you think about it. But it's this issue of human pride, which is part of our fallen human nature. Okay. So I want to pause real quick and, and remind people this uh, part of what we like to do here is take your questions. And so um, if you have questions about this topic of sin and the problem of sin and, and the maybe the uncomfortable <laughs> nature of sin, then we'd love for you to uh, to put your your questions in the comments, and uh, I know we've got a, a pretty good delay that's going on here, so uh, it might it might take us a thirty seconds or a minute or two to get to it. Um, but uh, feel free to and it, and also if you have questions about other things, questions about anything in general, go ahead and put those in the comments, and we'll uh, address those as well. But um, where would you like to go next with the with our topic with our conversation about sin? Well. At least for me, and you can steer us another direction if, if you know you want to. But uh, for me, sin—the question of sin and the problem of sin—all comes down to uh, the problem of the law, God's law in the Old Testament. Okay, and people unfortunately identify sin with the law, whereas we should identify sin with grace which is God's free gift to us. When we say, how do we please God if we can overcome that pride issue? Well, how do we please God? Well, it's law. Keep the law. Do what God says to do. And, and we try to do that. But unfortunately, if that's all the further we get in the process, it won't do us any good because nobody can keep the law. Okay. I mean, I've got a verse that I just love from yeah. Ecclesiastes. It says, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Even righteous people sin. Uh, people we think are, are keeping the law, they still sin 
Uh, it may be through some attitude they have, some thoughts that they have. They may not be doing something wrong that we can point to, but they still have wrong thoughts and attitudes. And because no one can keep the law. I mean, the New Testament, in the New Testament, Paul really tries to make the point in several of his letters that if we feel we have to keep the law, we're just trying to get stuff that we earn. But if you can't keep the law, then it's not doing any good. So what is the law for? Well, the law, Paul says, is to lead us to this idea that I can't do it for myself. Whatever God wants, if I want to have a relationship with God, I can't please him by keeping the law. Therefore, something else has to happen, and that's something in in the New Testament is, is Jesus died for us. He took our place when the law judges us and demands punishment. And so God does everything we need to please him. We just have to accept it as a gift. And that brings us back to pride versus grace. So, so the, the point of the law isn't as much about a list of do's and don'ts. The, the point of the law is to point out that we can't live out, we can't live up to the law. It's an impossible standard to do perfectly. Right, unless God somehow overcomes that, that gap, that impossibility. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, what, is, what is the, I mean, what is the real, the real thing that keeps us from being able to keep the law? I mean, could it, could it, couldn't it be possible that somebody could maybe keep the law? That 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 there may be somebody who's able to 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 live out you know those commands over the course of their life. Yeah, I think it's possible for people to at least think that. I mean, in Jesus' day, you had the the Pharisees who worked really really hard, who devoted their entire lives to keeping the law, and they even made more laws to help them keep the law mm-hmm. that God gave us. And and there were many of them who believed that they were righteous, that they kept all the laws. Remember, there was a young rich man who came to Jesus, what must I do to mm-hmm. gain eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep the law. And he says, I've done that. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. And he said, I want you to go and sell everything you have, give to the money of the poor, and come and follow me. Basically, what he was asking this rich man to do was to stop trusting in his money, become poor himself, and let Jesus provide for him. And the man couldn't, couldn't do it. He says he turned and walked away, and Jesus loved that man, and it made him sad that the man was not able to trust Jesus to take care of him even when he became poor. So then... So the law kind of points out our need for grace, and then so sin isn't as much about the law as it is grace. How that how is sin about grace? Like um, you were talking earlier. Right. Well, sin makes it essential that we have grace because we talked about you can't help but sin, and um, and God says when you sin, when you break the law, the whole law is about punishing those who break it, and He says you you're subjecting yourself to that. I'm providing you a way out. I'm providing the punishment in your place with my son on the cross. And and so your sin is covered. Even after we believe in Jesus, uh, we continue to do things wrong. We continue to think things wrong because we don't know enough about what God says. 
And he says, the grace continues to cover you because I want you to be my people and I want you to let me be your God. So grace then deals with the thing that keeps us from being able to be in God's presence. Right, exactly. So sin then is sin is the oh, thing yeah. that keeps us from right. keeps us from his presence. Grace deals with it. Right. And allows a way for us to come into his his presence. Okay. Yeah. So um in the book, Keller talks a lot about identity in this chapter and how um, a lot of our a lot of our pursuit when it comes to sin is really trying to find our identity uh, in other things apart from God. That that we're trying to we're trying to uh, basically become other things. Um, he says an identity based on God also leads inevitably to deep forms of addiction. When we turn good things into ultimate things, we are, as it were, spiritually addicted. So um, maybe we can talk about that a little bit. We obviously don't need to go too far down the road of addiction um, because we're not experts on that, so we don't need to. But but we can talk about the idea that that an identity not based on God leads to addictive addictive, uh, tendencies, right? Yeah, because essentially these are things that that we've come to depend on. You know, our, we find our identity. I'm a sports fan. Well, that can easily lead to addiction to sports. There's nothing wrong with being a sports fan, but when it becomes your identity, this is the thing that you uh, define yourself by. Or um, I'm I'm a bowler, or I'm a good cook, or I like. Uh, women or i like men or i i love my car um i i devote myself to my family or my children all you know these kinds of things fundamentally there's nothing wrong with any of them it's just that when we start identifying ourselves that way we go into them and they take up our time and they take up our energy and they uh they can damage our relationships and most of all they keep us from trusting god and that's that's the big danger in in anything that because we're trusting in something that's when we we say we're addicted to it we're so trusting in this we can't let go of it and we have to uh, immerse ourselves more and more because that's where we hope to get the good things in our life. Well, and so, um, so sin maybe isn't just obedience. It's not just an issue of obedience. Uh, sin might then might stretch out a little bit more into into our very our very image of God. You know, the imago dei in us that that God designed us and created us. With a specific purpose in mind, and so uh, sin has to do with whether or not we're living into God's purpose for us as His children, or we're trying to live to our own purposes or to culture's purposes, and and these other things that we that we chase that we that become our identity, that eventually belittle us, make us smaller, you know, make us make us less than uh, God created us to be, are actually creating more of a problem, creating more separation between us and God because we have our focus on something else. So, so how can we incorporate identity into our understanding of sin and obedience? Um, years and years ago, I had a cousin, um, and he, he was, I was driving him to Portland, and, and we were engaged in a conversation um, about scripture, and he was in the process of basically moving away from his faith. Um, I didn't know a whole, whole lot 
to tell him at the time. Uh, but I remember him saying, I mean, look at somebody like Albert Schweitzer, who gave up his life to serve the poor and the sick in, in Africa, and was widely recognized as, as a, a very good person, the epitome of what it meant to be a good person. Yet Albert Schweitzer turned his back on God. Hmm. And, and he was saying, how can God reject somebody like Albert Schweitzer? How can God send somebody like that to hell? And he says, I don't know that I believe that anymore. But the problem was not what he was doing with his life. The problem was that he was doing it without God. God is the one who created us because he wanted to have a relationship with us. He's the one who, who wants to be an intimate part of every of our lives. Um, he's the one who, who tells us that if we believe in him, he wants to basically interfere with every aspect of our lives because he knows how to make it better, every aspect better. And yet we turn our backs on him for something less because we have this incorrect idea of who God is, and so we're willing to rebel against him and, and give ourselves to what we think is good in life. So, um, so I, just, I just heard us. We're in there now. I can hear oh. us on, on, Beck, on Becky's computer. But um, it distracted me for a second. So... Um, so then sin, identity, obedience, um, made in the image of God, we are his image bearers, and then sin becomes that thing, so I'm, back, I'm trying to backtrack in my mind, um, sin becomes that thing then that, that starts to alter the image, right? Mm-hmm. Sin, sin is the thing that um, when we start focusing on, you know, whether, whether we're focusing on Things or focusing on ourselves, they all become things that start to alter our image, right? They they alter. Becky says, "Sorry, you don't you don't have to be sorry. You're more than welcome to listen." Um, <laughs> it just it just caught me off guard for a second. Um, so really really quick, I want to remind if you have any questions about what we've talked about with identity, with sin, with rebellion, with obedience, you know, go ahead and throw your questions up there or any other questions. But it, it kind of sounds like uh, sin really has at it, at its core, uh, the, it's it's a deforming agent. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a it's a chaotic agent, you might say. It's you something say, that's yeah. that's bringing chaos where there, where God wants us to be ordered, and when when we have our priorities in the right order, then everything else falls into place. When we don't, then things start to go awry. Mm-hmm. We should talk about something else while we give people an opportunity to ask questions. Well, you know, in like Jane, sports. <laughs> I don't know. There's not much sports to talk know. about today. Although Tiger, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady and um, Peyton Manning are going to have a charity golf tournament uh, to give people something to look at during this this crisis. And okay. So there's sports. Um, any anyway, there's. Uh, <laughs> You know, if every good thing comes from God, the minute we turn our backs on God and and get things from some other source, they're just not good things. Um, and we don't understand that. We don't understand how <clears throat> all all the what we would call good things in life 
uh, they actually come from God. God has created this earth in which people live in a fallen nature, and, and they sin. It's their nature to disobey God, but we have good things and bad things in life. But God says he gives us bad things in life so that we understand what evil really is. We, have, we experience evil in our lives so we can understand it. We also experience good things. He says he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. Now, in that culture, rain was a good thing because it makes the plants grow and it provides food and so on. And so everyone experiences good from God, but they don't realize that it comes from God. And so they think it comes from some other source, whether having money or having the right uh, friends or, or from having possessions or from experiencing uh, skydiving or something like that. And, and, and so it's that idea that it doesn't come from God, that it's not only, that's not only what sin is, but it's, it's also very sad. So let's um, let's keep going because if if there is this problem of sin, uh, why should we be concerned about it? Why should we care? I mean, what's the big deal? What's the big deal with sin? Why why would sin be a problem? Why does it? Why would it matter? You know, if I if I just want to if I want to choose my own way, I want to go my own path. I want to be able to decide for myself what is right and wrong. Um, what would the potential consequences be for that? <laughs> What are the consequences for me uh, going my own route? Well, well, there, there are two things really clear. One is your eternal destiny, okay. um, which uh, because we don't see it and it's not really clear and there's a lot of things we don't understand, it's real easy to just shrug that off. Um, you know, oh, all my friends are going to be in hell, so we're just going to party all the time, which right. <laughs> is a complete false statement. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the other thing is how it affects this life. Because all the things that all the problems that we struggle with in this life come from either um, having a natural curse on creation, which in science we call the second law of thermodynamics. Every everything in creation is moving from from order to chaos or experiencing some kind of death. And the other thing is we experience an awful lot of bad things just simply because of the way people treat one another. And we can't seem to find a good formula without God of treating each other in a way that's going to produce uh, joy and, and all those positive things that we, we hope to gain from, from our relationships without messing things up and losing it. So there are two consequences, it sounds like. It sounds like there's the eternal consequence, which a lot of people laugh off and... Uh, one of the things that drives me crazy, and I, you probably feel the same way, is, is people will say, um, well, I don't believe in an afterlife, and, and think that because they don't believe in an afterlife, that guarantees that there is no afterlife, that because, because they've decided that there isn't one, there must not be one, so they don't have to worry about it. But, um, but that's not true. <laughs> So, so um, we don't really we're, we're not the ones that get to decide it. So there is there's that eternal consequence, which a lot of people would just would laugh off. But then there's also the present consequence, and uh, one of the things that it sounds like you're you're talking about is that how we treat one another, how how we how we interact with one another, how we care for one another, or take advantage of one another, um, is is dependent on our understanding of our creator, our maker, being made in his image, and whether or not we are 
following him or going our own way. And when we follow him, things go one way. When we don't, then things tend to unravel and we have chaos. And, and that would be the, the effects of, you know, of the curse, right? Right. Um, revenge would be a perfect example of, of that. Um, you know, God commands us, <clears throat> excuse me, God commands us several times in Scripture that we're not supposed to take, take revenge, that if revenge is needed, he'll do it, because he's a lot smarter than we are, and he's going to do it right. But he says we shouldn't do it, that's his job. And the reason is because revenge is usually something that we seek because we really kind of believe that there isn't a God who's not going to do anything. We've been hurt, we need to hurt back. But that doesn't solve anything, because then that person is hurt, they want to hurt back. And it becomes a cycle. Revenge never solves anything. Um, you can look at, at wars that were fought over revenge. You can look at feuds. You can look at personal relationships. Uh, you called me a name, I'm going to call you a name back. Um, you know, Husbands and wives have this kind of fighting all the time where, where they hurt each other. Uh, even though they love each other. And it's because of this idea of revenge that we have because we don't, either we don't believe in God or we don't trust Him to make things right. Yeah, and so, so God says, it's mine, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. That's, mm-hmm. that's what He says. And so part of the thing, you know, and this kind of ties back into some of the earlier discussions we had, that, that belief in God actually deals, helps us deal with a lot of the problems that we have in life my mom's joined us. Doreen has joined us. Good afternoon. To well, I guess it's evening in Ohio, so it's almost seven o'clock in Ohio. But, um, but when when you don't believe in an afterlife, to which Timely said when I was saying a lot of people don't believe in the afterlife, she says the afterlife believes in you, though. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to put it. So, we um, when we when we try to do things and limit everything to the right now, to the here and now. Then we're we're not really left with any other choice but to seek revenge, right? Because if there if there is no no higher power, if there is no God, if there is no eternity, then then nothing's going to be resolved. Nothing's going to be taken care of. It's on us to do it. But but belief in God and belief in an afterlife, belief in in heaven and eternity and in hell, means that that punishment is going to be. <laughs> be given to those who deserve punishment and reward to those who deserve reward, right? Which would be a part of our discussion on sin, that, that when people are, are, are rebelling against God, doing things their own way, and, and not, living, not living in relationship with God, then, then they have a, a different outcome than those who are, who are living obediently. But, so there are consequences, eternal and present consequences. What's the remedy? How do we start to, how do we start to turn this in a uh, more positive direction and land the plane in a, in a hopeful tone? Um, for me, there was kind of a turning point in my life when I, I really started to understand First John 1, 8 through, 8 through 10, um, where it, there are three ways that you can deal with sin. I mean, we all struggle with sin in our lives, and as somebody who always grew up wanting to be a good boy, uh, it always bothered me, and I struggled with guilt a lot of times. Um, but First John one eight, it says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." The saint, in other words, saying, "Well, I don't sin. I don't do anything wrong." We're deceiving ourselves, and, and we're living in a fantasy world, and we're going to get very, very hurt because of the things we do. And skipping to verse ten, um, it says, 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is no place in our lives. In other words, if, if we say, well, yeah, I did that, but there wasn't anything wrong with it, we're calling God a liar because he says there is something wrong with it. The reason is because he loves us and he wants the best for us. But verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we admit it to God, and, and this is the part that, that I you know, kind of glommed onto very quickly in my life, he'll forgive us. I, I can get rid of that guilt that, I, that really changes our motivations because we're forgiven. But the next part, I, I discovered one day that the next part is he will cleanse us from sin because sin has an effect on us. And not only do we, are we forgiven, but whatever that negative effect was on the thing, because of the things we did, we're cleansed from that. And we have this opportunity to start over. And it's this incredible gift from God to not focus on the guilt that we feel on sins, but on the, the joy that we can have knowing that we're not carrying that burden of our sins with us. And we can, and we can start looking at life from a really positive manner. Yeah, I, I, I really, uh, well, we've been talking about confession and how uh, confession isn't just to to say the wrong that you've done, but it's to agree with reality. Uh, so we're at, we're told to confess, not just to confess our sins, but we have to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. So we have to agree with the reality that Jesus is the Son of God. So when we're when we when we say we don't sin, we're not we're not just ourselves being dishonest. We're making God out to be a liar. We're we're kind of putting we're putting ourselves in the position of judge, judging mm-hmm. God to be wrong, yeah. as opposed to, as opposed to allowing Him to be the judge, who is the only one who's capable of being a judge because He's the only one who's truly outside of the situation. We're 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 biased because we're in it, so there's no way for us to be good judges about you know about our our actions, our lives, or those kinds of things. But God, because He's outside, can do that. So do we. Do we agree with his reality of the situation, or do we try to force our reality onto God? So maybe that's kind of getting to a deeper understanding of what sin is. Feel free to ask any questions. Just want to offer a reminder if you've got questions about sin and things we're talking about. But let's get to let's this quote here on page 179 of the book. He says, Whatever you base your life on, you have to live up to that. So, you know, he's you know talking about, you know, whatever whatever it, whether it's our job, whether it's some kind of pleasure, whether you know it's some kind of thing that we're seeking and putting our identity in, whatever we base our life on, we have to live up to that. And but Jesus is the one Lord that you can live for who died for you, who breathed his last breath for you. So the the solution um, is is not found in our ability. <laughs> So now all of a sudden, just we're just going to decide in this moment, I'm going to live up to, I'm going to obey all the laws, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to not be proud, I'm going to be humble, and it's not like we could just decide in this moment right. and we'd be okay. We need, a, we need a solution outside of ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, that solution is God, because I don't know where else, well, we're, people are always turning to other things, but they don't solve the, the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of motivational speakers who who give people alternatives, right? And make a lot of money doing so. Uh, 
but it doesn't really solve the issue. The fact is, it's our nature to sin. Even, even uh, when we've been believers for a long, long, long time, we're still finding ourselves saying the wrong things. Um, often, it's thinking the wrong things. Um, that's what often will make me most ashamed. Is I realize, oh man, I shouldn't be thinking that. Um, but the the comforting feeling that there's always a solution in in God and what in what Jesus did, and He's there to carry me along uh, and helping me to get better and better. Um, so, go ahead. Yeah. Well, he he ends up this this chapter with this paragraph. Um, let me read two bar- paragraphs. It says, you may say, I, I see that Christianity might be just the thing for people who have had collapses in their lives. But what if I don't fail in my career? And what if I have a great family? As Augustine said, if there is a God who created you, then the deepest chambers of your soul simply cannot be filled up with anything less. That's how great the human soul is. If Jesus is the creator Lord, then by definition, nothing could satisfy you like he can. Even if you are successful, uh, even in the, the most successful careers and families cannot give the significance, security, and affirmation that the author of glory of, and love can. Everybody has to live for something. Whatever that something is becomes Lord of your life, whether you think of it that way or not. And Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely, and if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. So there is a sin problem. We do have a sin problem. It's a pretty big sin problem. But there's also a solution. Yeah. That's what we're getting ready to start thinking about here in the next uh, 10 days or so. With the crucifixion and the resurrection. Right. And I think there's an upcoming chapter in which we will really focus on, on that. It's the one thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. The fact that relig- every other religion tells you what you need to do to achieve the goals of that faith or that philosophy. Christianity is the only one that's honest, saying you can't. You're flawed, but I will make you perfect. Mm-hmm. And God says... He will do whatever we need done so that we can enter into that the fullness of the relationship with him. Okay. Well, do you have anything else to add about to this topic of sin, what is sin? And um probably not without confusing things more than I already have. <laughs> well, what questions do you have? Well, uh, we've got a few more minutes left here before we wrap up, but want to give you a chance to ask questions about this topic of sin, rebellion, identity, um, grace, forgiveness, all of those things. Or if you have questions about uh, just this time that we're going through, questions about what's going on in the world right now, questions maybe not pertaining to any of those things, but just something that you've wrestled with for a while that you'd like us to uh, take a stab at, at responding to, we'd love to hear those. Um, well, you know, there is uh, one thing we can speak briefly to that I think may be important in this time that uh, the book of Job talks about, the fact that just because you're experiencing or someone you know is experiencing uh, um, difficulties in their life, particularly like catching the coronavirus, for instance, um, being tested positive, uh, 
it doesn't mean that they individually did something to cause that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Ecclesiastes talks about it as well, that we can't judge people on the things that happened to them because, you know, in, even, in, even in Ecclesiastes, it says these are, from our perspective, all random events. It has nothing to do with who you are and, uh, and what you're doing with your life. But it is all caused by, the, by sin of, of in, in the world. The curse that God placed on the world because of sin taking people away from Him, and all of these bad things will one day be reversed. That's what God promises. But it's really important that when something like this, uh, testing positive for the COVID nineteen or or something else, some other kind of tragedy hits, for people not to feel guilty and somehow and think somehow it's because of something bad that I did. You shouldn't do bad things anyway, but it's not related to the specific things that happen in your life. Yeah, so so something bad happening to me is not nece- is not necessarily a judgment of God against me for doing something wrong. Right. So if I get if I get sick, if I were to get the coronavirus, that wouldn't mean that I did something to deserve getting the coronavirus. Right. And that doesn't you know all the people that have it right now <laughs> haven't done something to deserve getting the coronavirus. Right. Um, and same thing for any disease, you know, any anything people fight or car accidents or, you know, any anything that we could probably uh, talk about. There, there are probably lots of things that people have said. Well, they got what they deserved. Yeah, yeah, you hear that a lot in the world today. You, I've, I've heard that with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, boy, I I hope they die from it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's our desire to judge other people. Mm-hmm. And we should be judging ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. I've heard that heard that uh, comment made several times, and uh, it's just that's not something that that we should even even allow into our, our minds. But what else about the coronavirus should we talk about? The coronavirus oh. is. I mean, it's a part of the curse, right? That's that's one of the yeah. and the curse is a result of our sin, our rebellion against God. We as as a as a human race, right, as not people. as individuals, right? Yeah. <laughs> but because Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, then God cursed everything, mm-hmm. and so everything, all the the thorns, the disease, the the pain, the you know the toil, the hard work, all of that's a result of the curse. So you know. I guess you could say, in essence, that, that there is some truth to that, but not not a, on an individual. I did something to deserve this level, right? Right. But any other any? Well, I guess not any other. We haven't had any questions come in at the end yet. But any questions that uh, you'd like us to talk about? Our computers have not crashed, so that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I think the guilt that we feel, the fact that that we do experience guilt is an indication that God is real because we're cre- guilt comes from deep within us, something we're programmed to feel. Just like when we experience pain, it tells us something is wrong. Get your hand out of the fire. Right. <laughs> um, and and guilt is the same kind of thing, only it's talking about something more metaphysical like like sin and and 
having done something you shouldn't have done. Guilt teaches us, boy, I need to stop doing that. And, and it's actually one of those good gifts from God. Um, and fear. Fear is one of those things. That, yes, yes. That uh, actually has a really good purpose in our lives. And um, we don't want to be ruled and dominated and controlled by fear. But at the same time, if we are feeling afraid, oftentimes the fear is there for a reason. We need mm-hmm. to pay attention to it. But... Well, since no one is uh, asking any more questions, I guess we can go ahead and wrap things up. And uh, re- reminder, tomorrow at 10 a.m., Jim's going to be doing his, uh, his Bible encouragement, scriptural encouragement, uh, devotional thought on uh, Facebook Live here, facebook.com slash 6-8-church. We've got devotionals all throughout the rest of the week uh, from others here in the church, other uh, church leaders that we have, so you can be... Looking forward to that. And then Sunday at 10 a.m. right here on Facebook Live, we've got uh, our Couch Church Live. So uh, grab your grab your favorite spot on the couch, your favorite uh, therapeutic beverage, and, and join us here Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook.com slash 6A-Church. So thanks for being here with us today, everyone. Have a great uh, evening. We'll see you tomorrow. All right.